The most notable products are needle-sharp, nine-foot hardwood spears for use against human foes. Even their neighbors, the Javaros Indians, famous for shrinking human heads, live in constant fear of the Alka Indians. Head shrinkers are scared of other Indians. Unforeseen results of this were a very high number of Wheaton College graduates who year after year for almost the next 20 years offered themselves for missionary service around the world. And even more people went to Ecuador to take the gospel to the Alka Indians. Over a period of years, those Indians, many of them came to believe in Christ. Even the ones who held the spears that killed those five missionaries, some of those men came to know the gospel and repented and put their faith in Christ. Because of the death of these five missionaries, many were confident to speak the Word of God more boldly and to do so without fear. Uh, Today in verses 12 through 18 of Philippians chapter 1, Paul is exhorting the Philippian church that his circumstances here and even the false motives of others are not deterrents to the progress of the gospel. Paul points out for us two things today in, in this passage. In verses 12 through 14, Paul tells us that in spite of circumstances, the gospel still advances. Paul says that his imprisonment has actually served to advance the gospel. In verses 15 through 18, the first part of verse 18, Paul tells us that in spite of false motives of others, the gospel still goes forward. The false motives of some do not deter the advancement of the gospel. Uh, The main idea we want to see in our text today, as I've told you uh, the first few weeks, there will always be a main idea coming from the text. And that main idea is the proclamation and the progress of the gospel. To shorten that a bit, the progress of the gospel. That's the main idea that's going on in these verses today. But today, I want to help you as God's people. I want to help you to see that you should... Seek to put the progress of the gospel at the center of your ambitions. All of us have ambitions in life. All of us have goals and desires and things that we want to accomplish in life. But I want to help you see from God's Word today that we should put the progress of the gospel at the center of all those ambitions in our life. So let's pray and ask God's blessing today. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Christ today. God, we need your help today as we study your word. I pray that the Spirit of God would help us to focus, help us to speak clearly, help us to apply to our lives, to be obedient to the word of God. We thank you for Jesus today. He is the one to be of our utmost passion and desire today. Because without him, there is no hope for us. God, again, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for redeeming sinners today. It's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen. Well, in verses 12 through 14, I want to see, first of all, the progress of the gospel in spite of circumstances. Let's read these. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. 
so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul tells us in verse 12 that his imprisonment here was part of God's plan to advance the gospel. Paul being in prison was part of God's plan to advance the gospel. And you're thinking, I sure hope part of God's plan to advance the gospel is not to put me in prison. I I hope that for you as well. Paul is bringing the gospel to people here who otherwise would never hear the gospel. Keep in mind, the city of Rome where Paul is at is the economic the governmental, the social, the cultural center of the world. It's like the New York City of that time. Everything that went on in the world took place in Rome. And Paul tells us how he knows that the gospel is advancing in the city of Rome. The economic, social, cultural center of the world. Notice what he says. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Now some of you may have translations that read Praetorian guard. Who is this imperial guard? Who is this praetorian guard? Well, the the imperial guard happens to be the guard or the men that guard the house and the the compound of the emperor Caesar, who at that time was Nero. Now, think about that. These are not just any soldiers. They're the elite. They're the top men in the Roman army, and they're there to guard the Caesars, to guard Nero and all that compound in which he lived. It is unlikely, though, that these Roman soldiers would seek out Paul and hear him preach the gospel. These Roman soldiers were not coming to Paul and saying, Paul, preach us the gospel. They weren't going out to find Paul, so God does what? He puts Paul in prison, and Paul says it's for one purpose, and that's to advance the gospel. If Paul is not in prison in Rome, then the gospel does not break into the world of this Roman army. Notice that. It's not just a few of the imperial guard. Notice what it said. It's the whole imperial guard. Now, there are differing views on how many men made up this imperial guard. But most people agree that it's somewhere in the range of 9,000 men that made up this imperial praetorian guard. 9,000 men. Now, what normally happened in those days is Paul was chained. Uh, Historians tell us, scholars tell us that Paul, 24 hours a day, was chained to a Roman soldier. In most cases in the military, people uh, stood a four-hour watch. So that meant every four hours, a new guard came in, was chained to Paul. Now, I don't think Paul physically got to share the gospel with all 9,000 of those men because he was only in prison for two years there. But no doubt, those who did come were hearing the gospel. But those who did guard Paul and heard the gospel, what do you think they did? In turn, they told others. Think carefully. Think, Paul did not spend his time in prison protesting his innocence. He spent his time doing what? Telling people about Jesus. Prison, in this circumstance, was the ideal situation to evangelize. What did Paul tell these men? What do you think Paul told these men? Can you just imagine 
Paul chained to a guard, and you're that Roman soldier, and Paul says, can I tell you something? Let me tell you about a man named Jesus. What is it you want me to know about this man named Jesus? Well, first of all, you need to understand that all of us human beings are born in this world, and we're sinners, and our sin separates us from God, and we have no hope of ever being made right with God because of our sin. God says He's holy, perfect, and good, and He expects that of us, but we're not. And because of that, we're separated from God. There's no hope of us ever being right with God, which leads us in a predicament. But God sends His Son, Jesus, who is actually God, and He comes to this world and becomes a man. He dies on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin. He dies in your place to atone for your sin against God. When Jesus hangs on the cross and pays the penalty for your sin, that's God pouring out His wrath on sin on Jesus. And you can imagine what the Roman guard is thinking at that time. God's wrath and God's anger over sin is put on someone else in my place. And Paul says, but there's more to it. You must respond to that gospel by repenting of your sin and putting your faith in Jesus. Now that was a short snippet of the gospel. And I'm sure Paul did a much better job than I did of explaining the gospel. Think about it. Where is Paul at? He's in prison. And who is Paul writing this letter to? The Philippian church. Who in the Philippian church would be excited and might even break out in rejoicing when they hear this news? Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer. You remember that story in Acts? The Philippian jailer? Let me read that for you right quick. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And your household. And your household. Not that all in the household of the jailer were saved because he repented and trusted in Christ because he's just told us what you need to do to be saved is do what? Believe in Jesus individually. So don't misunderstand it there just because the jailer got saved, his whole household did. But we can read there that his household was saved because they did as the jailer did. They repented and put their faith in Christ. And notice what it, listen to what it says in the last verse there, verse 32. It says, And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. You hear that? They spoke the gospel to the Philippian jailer. He believes in Jesus, and then they do what? They turn and speak the word to his household, and they repent. Do you think that when Paul was giving this report of him sharing the gospel in prison, that the Philippian jailer and his family didn't become excited? Because you know what they're thinking? I got saved in the prison when Paul was here. What's to happen in the city of Rome? Paul gives another reason why he knows the gospel is advancing. Look back to verse 13. <clears throat> 
It says there, and to all the rest. The news about Paul spread throughout the city of Rome. Jesus and the gospel had become a topic of conversation in the city of Rome. You remember when I said earlier that Rome was sort of like the New York City of our day? Could you imagine everyone in New York City walking around talking about Jesus? I know you, some of you just laughed. And I said, I don't, I don't think that could happen. Well, if God wants it to happen, it could happen. But you get the picture here. The whole city is talking about Jesus. But somebody had to go to prison in order for that to happen. Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. Here's a statement about Paul's time in prison there in Rome. Listen to what it says. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. Remember I told you when we first started Philippians that Paul had to have financial assistance in order to be in prison. Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippian church to do what? To bring him money so he could stay in prison. That's a novel idea, isn't it? You've got to pay in order to be able to stay in prison. Proclaiming the kingdom of God. Here's what Paul's doing. Teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was doing it with all boldness, without hindrance. Nothing was standing in Paul's way from proclaiming the gospel to these men in this Roman uh, imperial guard. And they were going out telling others and it was spreading through the whole city. Paul says, my circumstances are allowing the advance of the gospel. Well, there's a third way Paul knows the gospel is advancing. Look at verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul says there are brothers who are trusting in the Lord in ways that they've never trusted in the Lord before just because I'm in prison. They see what's going on here and what happens. They're confident, they're bold, and they're without fear. I think this tells us something about the Philippian believers. Why is Paul in prison? For proclaiming Christ and preaching the gospel. Do you think that you would be bold and confident and do it without fear, knowing that you may end up just like Paul? But what do they say? It does not matter. Christ is Lord. We're servants of Christ. We're slaves of Christ. If we go to prison for preaching the gospel, so be it. That's what God would intend. They were bold and without fear. The idea is they were facing up to those difficulties and they're not willing to back down. They were going to speak Christ regardless of the consequences. Think about that. They cared nothing for themselves. Their ambitions, their goals in life were what? Centered in the advancement of the gospel. If imprisonment leads to fruitful work for Paul, then they could trust the Lord that they could expect the same thing in their own lives. Could they not? If God can do it in prison, then God can do it anywhere He wants to do it, through anybody He chooses to do. So Paul gives three examples to the Philippians about his imprisonment. How it served a greater purpose. The purpose, the progress of the gospel. What makes Paul respond to this situation? How is it that Paul can look at his circumstances and not say, Lord, what are you doing? Can you just stop and think about yourself. You get put in prison for obeying God and preaching the gospel, and you're going, Lord, what in the world is going on? Paul is not doing that. Why is it Paul asking, why me? How many of you have ever done that? Why me, Lord? 
Why is this going? Paul is not asking these questions. Paul believes Romans 8.28. After all, he did write it, did he not? God causes all things to work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose, for those who love Him. Paul doesn't look at these circumstances and say, Lord, my circumstances show that you don't love me. You don't care about me. You're not in control. Or I wouldn't be here. No, Paul looks at these circumstances and he's confident that God is at work even in the circumstances of his life, being in prison. Here's what we need to understand. God's reasoning is drastically different from ours. Drastically different from ours. We have the tendency to think... Here's what we do. If circumstances aren't just right, if everything doesn't line up just right, then we can't be of effective Christians, right? This is yes. If everything doesn't line up just right, then we think we can't be effective for God. Were Paul's circumstances lining up just right? What was God doing in his life? Listen, your circumstances are not, they're not a deterrent to God working in your life to get the gospel to go forward. God will use whatever's going on in your life to advance the gospel. Here's the deal. God is not waiting on circumstances to be just right. He's committed to producing effective Christians regardless of your circumstances. Regardless of what your circumstances, God can produce effective Christians. Does that teach you something about your own Christian witness and your circumstances? Can I tell you that there is no plan B? Alright? Whatever is going on in your life, God has ordained that to take place. Alright? Now, listen carefully. That doesn't mean you didn't make foolish decisions and get yourself in that situation, but God decreed it. He allowed it to happen. Okay? There is no plan B. So don't be sitting thinking, there must be another plan and I need to figure out what it is. Know where you're at is where God wants you to be and what's going on in your life. And God's going to work through that situation in your life. In all of your circumstances, you should seek to put the progress of the gospel at the center of your ambitions. Whatever your circumstances are in life, your ambition is to allow God to use you for the progress of the gospel. Whatever it is. If you're a believer, God knows where you're at. He knows what's going on. And He will use you to progress, to advance the gospel. How in the world can we do that? You're saying, how can I do that? We've heard circumstances in all of our lives here through prayer requests and just things going on in people's lives. How can we do that? What was it Paul prayed for in verses 9 through 11? And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. You remember how Paul prayed for these, these Philippians? That's how we... Pray for the progress of the gospel in the life of those around us who are going through difficult times. We pray that their love for Christ and their love for the gospel would grow and grow and grow. Listen, don't ever think that your prayer life does not have purpose and meaning. There are people all around you that you can be praying for and interceding. God, use them where they're at in their circumstances for the gospel to go forward. In verses 12 through 14, the progress of the gospel takes place in spite of circumstances. Look at verses 15 through 18. Paul tells us that in spite of false motives, the gospel still advances. 
Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, or excuse me, in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Who are these people, these preachers here that preach Christ, but they do so from false motives? If you'll notice there, verse 15 began with the word some. Some of the brothers that Paul mentions uh, are in verse 14. They are their brothers. These people who are preaching the gospel with false motives, listen, they're believers. Is it difficult to imagine that Christian brothers who have been made confident in the Lord could be driven by false motives and self-ambition? Absolutely. From envy, rivalry, stirring up trouble, that's what that word means. Not sincerely, but thinking to do what? Afflict Paul. Now, listen carefully. It should be understood. These are not heretics. These are Christians. In other words, they're not preaching another Christ or another gospel. In your study with Pastor Corey going through Galatians, we know what Paul says about those who preach another gospel. He says they're to be what? Accursed. Devoted. Uh, to be without hope of being redeemed. That's what that means. If you preach a false gospel, Paul says you should be accursed. You are, you're put in a position of no hope of being redeemed by God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul tells us those who preach another Jesus are false prophets and the church should not listen to them. Paul is not open here to condemning every preacher who offers a demonstration of goodness who preaches Jesus, okay? Paul wants to know which Jesus they preach. I want to make that clear. We must constantly be asking if the Jesus being promoted is the Mormon Jesus or is it the Jehovah's Witness Jesus? Is it the health, wealth, and prosperity Jesus? Or is it the biblical Jesus? That's the question we need to be asking. The fact that Paul offers, he sort of, he offers a compliment to these guys, but it's sort of backhanded. You ever heard that statement? It's sort of like a backhanded comment that he makes to them. It shows us they're not heretics. The content of the message coming from these brothers was correct. It was sound doctrine about the gospel. Paul is pointing these men out in order to expose their method and their motive. That's what he's doing. Their method was what? Envy, rivalry. Their motive was what? Selfish ambition. These brothers here, this is what they're probably thinking. You know, Paul's done a lot of damage to the church. After all, he did get himself thrown in prison. You know, what Christian goes out and gets himself arrested and gets himself thrown in prison? That would be our thought, would it not? These brothers are most likely promoting themselves by doing what? They're putting Paul down. That Paul, you shouldn't follow him. He got himself in prison. Christians don't do that. They could have been telling others that Paul most, most sure... He's got a character flaw. Why in the world do you want to follow this guy? Christians don't get in prison. They would never do something to do that. They may, be, they may have been preaching in hope that maybe if we can put Paul down, then we'll get to take over his authority and gain his position and his influence in the church in his absence. Well, what about the other group of brothers here? They were preaching Christ from motives of 
goodwill and what? Love. What does this have to say to us here today? Jealousy, self-centeredness, and the desire for position and influence have no place within the Christian church. Isn't it clear now why Paul prayed for his fellow believers that they may abound more and more in love with knowledge and all discernment so that you may be pure and what? Blameless. We need to be careful and not miss something here, okay? Paul is providing us with a test of how this prayer in verses 9 through 11 is being answered in our lives. What lies behind your Christian service? What lies behind your serving Redbud Baptist Church. What lies behind you serving God? Is it an expression of your love for Jesus and for other people? Or is it self-ambition? Do you have mixed motives? Or has Jesus purified those motives? I want to be and not beat you up, but I want to make you I want to help you understand that. Can I can I be perfectly honest with you? I have to ask myself this every single day. Day. Why do I do what I do? Is it because I love the gospel and I love Jesus, or is it because I'm going to gain a position of influence because I pastor a church? I go to Southeastern Seminary to get the coveted MDiv degree so I can get a stamp of approval and go pastor a church. That's selfish ambition. My motive for those things should be God equip me and make me love Jesus that I can be used to promote the gospel. It should be nothing about me. I have to ask myself that question every day as your pastor and you're probably going, oh my. I told you I wasn't Superman. Remember me telling you that? I deal with sin just like everybody else does. But I have to ask myself on a regular basis, God, are my motives pure? Am I doing what I'm doing for the right reason? Look at verse 18. How does Paul handle this? I love these two words. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and what does Paul do? I rejoice. The important thing for Paul was not that he achieved respect within the church. The most important thing for Paul was only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. What did Paul care about more than anything else? Jesus being proclaimed and the gospel going forward. The big concern for Paul was promoting Jesus. As far as, as far as Paul is concerned, it's not about him. It's about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about the gospel. Oh, that you and I would see our lives and our ambitions as being for promoting the gospel. Our comfort, our hurt feelings, our status, all of these are insignificant when you compare them with the progress or the advancement or the promoting of Christ. What are your ambitions? To make money? To get married? To go to college? To see your grandchildren grow up? To get a new job? To retire early? Understand that you're not forbidden to pursue these things. I want everyone looking at me. It's not wrong to pursue those things, okay? Don't go away saying your pastor said I should pursue things in my life. 
These things are not to be despised, but they must not become so consuming that Jesus, who should be right here in the center of our lives, gets pushed to the outside. Unfortunately, we get in positions sometimes as Christians where Jesus is sort of out here on the outside and everything else in life is in here. When Jesus should be right here and everything else should be functioning around Him. The Gospel in Jesus, listen, they're the most precious things in the world. Whatever your goals are, they should be pursued in relation to the Gospel. It's not wrong to go to college and get a degree. It's not wrong to get married. It's not wrong to have a job and make good money. But you should pursue those goals and those ambitions in life as to how these things can be used in exalting Christ and proclaiming the gospel. You may be even be involved in some social reform. You may be involved in uh, abortion uh, rights and pornography and economic justice. You may be passionate about a certain style of Worship, a certain style of music, a certain type of theology. These things are important. I'm not saying we don't think about these things, but when these things become the things that consume us, our time and our passion, we have to ask ourselves, in what way am I acknowledging the centrality of the gospel in my life? You know, it may be that God has called you to be a a homemaker, a farmer, a nurse, a teacher, a secretary, a mechanic, a construction worker, a student. The gospel directly affects how you will carry out your responsibilities. And because of that, you as a Christian should put the gospel at the center of your ambitions. When you do so, you'll be able to endure affliction, persecution, and even being misunderstood by other believers. All of us in here experience those things, right? In our realm of life. But if we put the gospel at the center of all our ambitions and our desires, we'll be able to endure those. Paul did, didn't he? Absolutely. You can then say with Paul, what has happened to me has really served to do what? Advance the gospel. What is happening in my life is serving to advance the gospel. Let me challenge you with this. Put the progress of the gospel at the center of your ambitions, your goals in life. And you'll be able to be like Paul. Whatever may come, you'll be able to say, the gospel is more important than me. It's more important than my circumstances. God will use me to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Let me say this. I, I know some of you are thinking, I don't know that we got a pastor. I think we got an FBI agent because he's always asking me questions. Where do you work? What do you do? You know why I'm asking you those questions? I don't write everything down. I ask you those questions so when I pray for you, I pray for James. He works at UPS. I know what it's like to work at UPS because I work there. I know what he's dealing with. I pray for James and how he'll be able to witness effectively the gospel there. I find out where you work and what you do, and I get in my mind, what are they going through in their daily routine? What are they dealing with? And I pray for you that God will use you to proclaim Christ in whatever environment you're in. That's why I ask you all those questions. I'm not nosy. I just want to know how I can pray for you. So the gospel can go forward. So I don't have a selfish ambition so I can know everything. My goal is to pray for you that the gospel will go forward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And God, I know when we pray, we constantly say that. God. We're 